KB Estate Winery is a place where stories are created and memories made. To learn more how you can experience a setting that allows you to be inspired through delicious wine, friendly staff, exciting events, and beautiful views, please visit KB.com or simply call 509-785-3500. I had actually gone to school in finance, went to work for a bank in Spokane, ended up, um, the bank went through some transitions and I didn't really like the uh, um, the opportunities that were uh, sure. availing themselves and so uh, I was doing some other random things at the time and and you know I, I, I met a girl in a bar and, uh, and it turns out so many stories yeah. start with that line yes, right exactly. there it's been a long week right are you ready to wind down why not it's time for the wine time Fridays podcast with Shelly and Phil. Neither are sommeliers, but both have a deep passion for life, each other, and delicious wine. And now, here to talk about this week over a glass of wine is Shelly and Phil. It's wine time. We're starting. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Wine Time Fridays. This is episode 58. Important things to stay right off the top. Happy Friday. It's wine time. Put it up so we can hear it. <laughs> so, we have a special guest today, Sam Lang, which, by the way, his email address is slang. Uh, it is, isn't it? S Lang. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'd actually realize that, yes. <laughs> my, my, my business, um, um, which at the resort, everyone is their first initial and last name at CDA. Exactly, exactly. Um, my personal email is wineguy. Wineguy. So, yes. Love it. So we have Sam Lang with us from Beverly's at the Coeur d'Alene Resort in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. This is like the place to go uh, for almost you got to stop here at least once in your trip to Coeur d'Alene. And those of us who live here, some of us who live here are here two to three times a week. It <laughs> seems are, we really are. But Sam, welcome to our uh, podcast. And, you know, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, welcome to the wine cellar. We're yeah. actually, we're in the actual uh, wine cellar today doing this podcast so it's a little bit chilly and there's a little bit of background noise um, yep we're going to work through the background noise we're and just going to let that go it is what it is uh, today you have picked out three wines for us to taste through and, and we're going to kind of talk with Sam a little bit about how he got started as being a sommelier and things like this uh, but you I mean we we like to go through the podcast episode with a glass in our hand. So what are you pouring for us, first for us today? It's easy for me to say. Uh, I, I think first, um, I've kept it all Northwest. So we have three uh, Northwest wines today and different kind of interesting things a little bit, I think. This is the Grow Grain. Uh, it's a skin contact semillon. So nice. a couple things. Grow Grain, a relatively newer uh, producer down in Walla Walla. Um, beautiful uh, winery tasting facility there. Um, the couple uh, moved up from California um, and 
wanted to start a winery in Walla Walla. Um, you know, the, uh, a lot of people have had that dream. And very interesting, kind of, if I may say, geeky, interesting wines. They're not the mainstream, you know, big extracted Cabernet, Merlot, Syrah. He likes to do some unusual things. Right. Um, kind of really get into interesting, different techniques in winemaking. And so, um, um, so uh, I'll spell it here. It's 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 grow grain like the fabric or the right. um, yeah the but ribbon. There's an S in uh, the there. Ribbon, yeah, and so G R O S G R A I N all one word. But I think it's also a little play on words. You know, it's Walla Walla grow grain. Um, yeah, so, I like uh, it. I think I think that's kind of their their thought here. But this is a skin contact semillon. Let me pour a little bit for us here. So uh, semillon is a grape that's grown quite a bit in Washington. You know, a fair amount, yes. Yeah. A lot of it, uh, a, it's a grape that traditionally both in France, where it comes from, and in its use in Washington State, is blended with Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc, you know, has that very uh, bright, racy acidity, especially, I think you just tasted... Uh, yeah, about some, a month ago, uh, we did a of, three bays of, uh, of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, that's how, that was a fun one. Um, yeah. Uh, so they blend Semillon with Sauvignon Blanc to kind of soften the edges a little bit. So, you know, as much as we love that style of Sauvignon Blanc, this high acid, really racy, right, a lot right. of grapefruit and mm. citrus and, and you know, uh, <laughs> or, you know, like zest to it. Shelly's over here smiling right yeah, now. It just makes your mouth water. I know, out. exactly. But sometimes you want a wine that's a little softer edged, so maybe a little, you know, more of a hint of body to it. And so Semillon is that grape, and that's what they do. Um, in the Bordeaux region of France, Semillon is always blended with the Sauvignon Blanc. In the Loire Valley, Sauvignon Blanc um, is more often just 100% Sauvignon Blanc. They don't, okay. they don't generally blend the Semillon there, but it just makes it a little bit different style. Also, it's a wine that, uh, great variety that uh, is very good on its own. Um, tends to be a little softer um, than Sauvignon Blanc, of course. Uh, a very important component in the great dessert wines of Bordeaux. So Chateau Yquem, you know, the Sauternes, right. um, Semillon, very, very prominent in those wines. So, uh, so, so it's a very versatile grape. Uh, you see it quite a bit in in, uh, um, in Washington. Some people make it in a slightly sweet style. I think Chateau mm. Saint-Michel is well known for Semillon that they make this a little bit, um, a little bit uh, more residual sugar to uh, it. Yeah, what is that that the Chateau Saint-Michel does? What's the RS on that? Um, yeah, that I'm not sure, but I would, I would not a, a lot, like maybe one and a half. Okay, yeah, gotcha. I would, uh, uh, so not a lot of sweetness, but just that little touch of sweetness to it. Um, uh, Amavi makes a very nice Semillon. Uh, Le Col, uh, 41, yeah. Walla Walla, very well known for their Semillon. They have a, a straight up Semillon. They used to call it Walla Voila was the name was the original name of the the semillon, like um, but then they also uh, uh, make generally a single vineyard semillon. This kind of one of their um, sort of feature wines. So anyway, uh, a grape variety that you see quite a bit. This is unusual. It's what we call a skin contact okay. uh, wine. That this method of winemaking, when you make a white wine, you crush the grapes, you strain off. The skins and all the all the bits and and then you just take the the clear juice right. and ferment the juice on its own. When you make a red wine, you leave the skins and 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 all of that stuff in there, um, and that's where all the color comes from. A lot of the color, well, all the color, a lot of the uh, um, the tannins, a lot of the flavor components are in the uh, the skins of the grapes. There's also um, tannins, yeah, tannins in skin. With this wine, it's a white wine, but they ferment it as you would a red wine. Leave it with the skins. Okay. Oh, it extracts you. a lot of components out of the skins. Um, a little bit of tannin, actually, even in the wines. 
Uh, if you leave it long enough, it becomes a style of wine that's kind of becoming popular now. Not so much, you don't see so much in Coeur d'Alene, but if, if um, uh, geeky hipster wine bars in Seattle and Portland were open right now, they would have you know, generally multiple orange wines available even by the glass. Oh, yeah. And and yeah, so the orange wines is if you leave the, a lot of skin contact. He stops short at grow grain of, gotcha. of, of creating really what you call an orange wine, but but it still has some of those things. So it's a nice balance kind of a, between the two, but an interesting, interesting fun wine. So just so everybody knows that the bell that you heard is my fault because I forgot to bring our wine bell. And so it's a wine, it's a bell app. So I was wondering if you always use the app. It's like, no, we don't. I would think you would have a bell. We do. We have a, oh, this is delicious. Isn't this interesting? So, you know, it's like you think you know what you're getting, and then then you get some more out of it. It's got, you know, just different complexities. Uh, I think it fermented in a concrete age, okay. I believe. Well, um, and I was going to say, I'm getting tannins on this. Yes, there are. Yeah, and so that's really interesting with a with a white wine to get that almost. Well, so, no, it's right there on the back of the tongue, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, um, then it has kind of you know a minerality to it. A, um, and part of it is also the aging. Um, uh, uh, actually, I knew they used the concrete egg, but it's also it's aged in concrete egg, clay amphora neutral barrels and stainless steel so, okay wow. um, so there's a couple of the, the clay amphora is is a um, ancient but uh, you know kind of unusual these days thing so really even going back to um, I've had a lot of orange wines from the Republic of Georgia and we're actually trying to bring some of those wines into the market those are um, that's really where the orange wine style um, originated Three thousand years ago, right. and those wines were aged typically in a clay amphora. Um, so, so when they're using all those four things to age it, mm -hmm. are they aging some in each and blending them together? I, I believe that's what they do. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, that's really good. Do they have to treat the concrete egg at all? No, it's just. Uh, um, I mean, it's because uh, one would think polished. the lime that's yeah. okay. Yeah, you're right. You're okay, right. So, so there would be no leaching. No, no. Okay. Right. So in a rosé, they'll keep it on the skins for anywhere from what forty-five minutes yes, to yeah. even some people week. you talk to them like they'll they'll pull it off the skins fifteen or twenty minutes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you get that really that, light. Yeah. and this that actually one in is. Picton, didn't they say it was like five minutes? Yeah, it was yeah. a very short amount of time. This actually is very straw colored. Yeah, and but um, um, of course, in the in the case of rosé, you have grapes. With red skins, where this is grapes with you know um, white skins, and so it's so you know I mean you still get the skins do have color, right? Um, but just not as much as oh, for sure. you know the pigments of a red one. Sure. So you do you do pull color out of the skins. So it's, it's, with it's interesting. So Walla Walla, uh, grow grain, grow grain. Uh, what year on the Semillon? This is the 2019 skin contact Semillon. Beautiful. So uh, we will let Shelly work on her glass a little bit, and why don't you tell us, Sam, how, what in the world, well, it's stupid, this sounds like a stupid question yeah. to me. What prompted you to get into the wine business? What prompted you to become a sommelier? Well, you know, it, it is um, actually uh, um, not, the, not the traditional, uh, uh, traditional method. I think a lot of people work in a restaurant 
Um, you know, they're a server in a restaurant, they become interested in wine, they kind of mentor with the wine steward, you know, um, uh, maybe become an assistant wine steward, you know, for a while there and then kind of grow into it that way. This was my first restaurant job in my life was as the Somme here at Beverly's. Now that was wow. in 1987, as it turns out, it's been a while. But uh, that was my that was my first job I'd ever had in a restaurant in my life. Wow. Um, I had actually gone to school in finance, went to work for a bank in Spokane, ended up, um, the bank went through some transitions and I didn't really like the, uh, um, the opportunities that were uh, sure. availing themselves. And so uh, I was doing some other random things at the time. And, and you know, I, I, I met a girl in a bar and, uh, and it turns out... So many stories you know, start with that line yes, right exactly. there. <laughs> and it, it turns out that um, uh, she, during the day, was an office, the office manager for a neurosurgeon in Spokane. Oh, wow. okay. And he wanted to own a wine shop, but didn't want to didn't want to run a wine shop. He had he had a, he had a job, as it turns out, and um, kind of an uh, important one. And, yeah, and it was an important job. And so he was looking for someone to partner with um, to uh, start this wine shop. And so myself and one of my um, high school buddies actually got together, and we partnered with this guy, and and um, um, we started the wine shop in '83, I guess. And then I came here in 1987. What what month did you start here? Um, it was October. Of '87, okay. yeah. So we're October. not quite at 34 years, right? Yes, uh, we're 33 and a half years. That's remarkable. Yeah. So it's um, um, it's been it's been fun, and this this place is um, really. And I will say, I I left for exactly 10 years. I was gone from January 1st of 2005 until January 1st of 2015. Gotcha. Okay. You know, it was you know uh, worked a little bit. You know, um, uh, wholesale distributing wine. Some friends opened a couple restaurants around town. Was kept trying to do my own restaurant, but the, you know the the right the right situation never really That's never really game. came up, which is probably I probably dodged a bullet there. Yeah. and uh, yeah. um, helped develop the wine program up at Pilgrim's Market. Oh, good! And I so, didn't ever um, do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was uh, uh, did some fun, interesting things. But then when I I got the uh, the call to come back here, I uh, uh, you know I, I realized that this. This place is rather special, you know. It's like there's it really only one other restaurant in the Pacific Northwest that's Canlis mm -hmm. in Seattle that has a wine program that is of the scale of, of um, that we have here. So it's, a, it's 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 just amazing to be to have access to the kinds of wine that, that, that we have here. So. so on a on a side note, talking about the Canlis versus like the Metropolitan Grill mm -hmm. or El Gaucho, right? Um, the Canlis you put up even higher than those other two restaurants. As far as wine program, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. They actually are, I think, right now the only um, Wine Spectator Grand Award gotcha. uh, restaurant in the, in the Northwest. Um, we, we had a Grand Award for many years, and then um, at some point... Just blame it on COVID. <laughs> some years ago, we just decided to quit chasing that thing. You just have to keep putting money into it forever. And, right. and at some point, you have so many of the plaques that, I mean, I have, I have Grand Award, Wine Spectator Grand Award plaques um, much, muchly prized thing mm. to have, but once you have like eight or ten of them, yeah, you know, I, 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 they're propping up my desk in my office because one of the legs is kind of broken, you know. <laughs> so I just stick a plaque under there. It's like, what are you gonna do with all these things? So there's a a, a meritage, uh, isn't that a, a a society that you have to buy 
into to be yes, able to you put have to, that you have name to pay, on. Yes, you have to, this is a trademark and you have, right. to, you have to be part of that group and pay to use that. Yeah. As opposed to uh, not paying and right. using the same bland and yes, calling it a red right. bland. And, and, and I think the people that still use that term um, are kind of original in that thing. It's become not that popular of a term gotcha. anymore because people understand what red blends are. When they started that, people understood what Cabernet Sauvignon was, they understood what Merlot was. Um, not very many people in those days never heard of Malbec or Cabernet Franc or Petit Verdot, right. and the other traditional wines in the blend um, until, you know, and I mean, it's really relatively recent in the scheme of it that, that um, uh, Argentina introduced Malbec into, uh, into our lives. Uh, but they came up with that. There was actually a competition to, to come up with that name. And so it's a the, the name you know is a is a uh, it's a marriage and a heritage, and oh, so heritage and so uh, yeah. Uh, but really, everyone knows what a Cabernet blend is these mm -hmm. days. In fact, we have one um, to taste today because it is okay. one of the most popular popular categories. So I think because of Washington, people really understood blends more because they did a lot of that. There is a lot of blends, yes, and and you know it's interesting the Washington red blend. Um, what we would think of as the traditional Cabernet Merlot-based blend very often has Syrah in it. Um, and it's, it's because there's a lot of Syrah grown in Washington and it contributes nicely to the blend. And, and it's just the blend is, you know, kind of what works for your region. You don't necessarily have to follow the strict French Bordeaux model, which is only five grapes, Cabernet, Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc. Petit Verdot and Malbec. There are you can you can you can create your own regional blend. So that's what we've done. Yeah, it would go better with some sorts of food. I can see where the Syrah would go better with elk and, and venison. And yes, yes, exactly. Like yeah, we we love Syrah with our with our regional kind of game meats because it's got that little bit of a smoky kind of character to it. That that's you know kind of peppery spice and, and just that intensity that marries well. I think yeah. And it's so fun because wine, you could actually taste through every single possible wine in the world, which would be virtually impossible, but you could. You could. And the next year, you got to start all, all over, over again. All over, yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know how many wines like are released each year. I, right. I remember 25 years ago, someone said, oh, there's like 55,000 wines are released each year. But I know there's there are much more than that now. There are a lot more wineries in the world today than there were, you know, 20 or 25 years ago. And uh, uh, so even if you could taste through, say, 100,000 wines, next year you have to do it all over. The other beautiful thing about it is the ones that you tasted the first year, the second year, they age in the bottle. They That's evolve. Right. And so all the wines, even if you tasted them all, all of those wines are going to be different the next Isn't that year, something? and the next year, and the They'll next never year. Catch yeah, up. yeah. So it's like it. It is, but that's the that's the beauty of it. That's what keeps it from ever becoming boring or ever, you know, becoming, you know, something that you just tire of because there's always something new. And then new methods like the the skin contact. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the with the grow grade, it's just you know, it's uh, uh, ancient, you know, um, three thousand year old technique, but it is seeing a lot of revival and so it's, it's interesting to see how those things come around so our second wine is a rosé um, so kind of you know um, back to the skin contact story um, this is a wine that's made with skin contact but it is a red grape so that um, wow. with virtually all red grape varieties the juice of the grape the flesh of the grape is actually 
clear. It's just the skins that are um, that have uh, the pigment. Um, and this one, a very you know rather a light color. I would say this is probably no more than 20 minutes of so or so of skin contact before they um, pull the skins off and, and ferment the juice. Um, so, dumb question. Yes. Because I probably wasn't listening. Did you say the grape that this is made? Um, I haven't. It is 75% Mourvedre, 25% uh -huh. uh, Grenache. So um, all Grenache in there, all made with native natural fermentation. Uh, uh, a fun way to do it if you know what you're doing, a potentially um, risky way of making wine. You don't really know, unless you know what yeasts are floating around in your winery or your vineyard area or, or wherever you're located, and you've used them and you know how that kind of works. If you just let the wine spontaneously ferment, um, then you, you can come up with undesirable results. There are yeasts that are what we call spoilage yeasts, uh -huh. that you don't want that in your wine. Um, and, and but how then do you he, keep those out? Well, uh, before he answers that, yeah, yeah, yeah no, because I because we have to toast. We haven't toasted. This is probably a bad omen. Yes, health, wealth, and abundance, gratitude, romance, and peace on earth, and your giggles. <laughs> now back to mm -hmm. keeping the bad yeast out. Yeah. So, it really, they're they're there, and I think you just it's just a matter of knowing what yeast are floating around and what you have to work with. And, you know, if you have bad yeast in the air, you just do. It's like if you're going down this path of native natural fermentation, you get what you get a little bit. So we that's the risky part of it. We only just learned recently that you can capture yeast out of the air. Yes, yeah. We were at um, a place in other brews. I guess they're on, they're on the ales. They're working on those. Oh, yes, yeah. And they Different capture kind of all their own yeast. They, yeah, yeah, grow and capture it. It's fascinating how they do that. It just falls into the water and then you filter it out. Yeah, it's yeah. It's amazing. And it's like, so grapes, you know, that have been out in the vineyard, there's yeast just on the skins of the grapes. And if you just take grapes and put it in a vat and mush it up a bit, it'll just start fermenting by itself. And that's really all you have to do to make wine is put grapes in a container, you know, you, you know, squish them, squish them a little bit. You don't really have to. It'll, it'll, they'll um, whole berry ferment as well. And, and, uh, which is which is another technique that a lot of wineries are using. But there's usually on the bottom, you know, there's there's grapes that have just from the weight have, have um, um, broken the skin. But it'll, it'll it'll just make itself. So that's how some of that bad yeast will get in if you're mm -hmm. not uh, aware of what, what yeast you is have in the air. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So my first thought on this and mm -hmm. looking at this, it's not much different in color than the Semillon. No, it's really not. It, it's it's a very, yes, really, very light, really very light. Um, very, you know, not a lot of skin contact. Uh, you know, Morvet is a grape that has, you know, some some real pigment, some real darkness to it. And so, um, you know, that's the dominant grape here. It's a Rhone, you know, Southern mm -hmm. Rhone grape. So, Cote de Rhones or Chateauneuf de Pau. Um, this is the kind of a rosé that you would find in in, that, in the Southern Rhone. Um, and uh, uh, we didn't mention this. This is the uh, the Devison Vintners uh, 2019 Boucher Vineyard Yakima Valley Rosé. Um, uh, Devison, very, very good winemaker. He was the winemaker at um, uh, FST Winery, um, E-F-E-S-T-E. -E -E. Um, it was originally the initials of the owners, okay. F-S-T. And then they, they made thought, that oh, into if we spell it out and call it FST, it sounds, it sounds nicer. And so, More uh, grand. Yeah, and, uh, um, and his uh, lovely bride is, uh, used, was a uh, wine uh, um, import. Uh, 
uh, representative that, that would call on us here in Coeur d'Alene. They're from uh, Seattle, uh, Woodenville area, but they would they, she would call on us and uh, with a wonderful portfolio of imported wines, uh, European wines. But um, they have both left their their other day jobs and are are running this this winery. I've heard of Boucher Vineyards. Yeah, so Boucher. Um, very, very well known Yakima Valley Vineyard. Um, Dick Boucher. If you, if you talk to the winemakers and other vineyard people and people that are in that production side of the business, Dick Boucher is very, very highly regarded. One of the best uh, vineyard manager, uh, vineyard manager growers in the in the state. Um, his vineyards are impeccably, impeccably well maintained. Right. He's just he's he's a, he's fanatical about about just the uh, um, being very precise sure. and very clean in the vineyards. Do they have a, a tasting room in Leavenworth by any chance? Um, Boucher. Does Boucher have a, uh, their own label? No, or are they no. strictly so wholesale? He's a, he's a grower. A grower, and right. So they, they sell fruit to um, a number of wineries use Boucher. And um, they'll contract... Cordelaine Cellars uses okay. um, quite a bit of Boucher. Fruit. Okay. Yeah. So they'll contract we want this lot of Yes, these yeah. vineyards. And usually they're fairly long-term contracts, sure. three well, to five or plus years, because yeah. you, you want to be able to say, this is how I want this part of the vineyard managed. This is, you know, we want these kind of yields. We want, you know, the different things that, that wineries will request. And But he, um, um, but you see, I see, you see Boucher on quite a few labels of very right. nice wines. And, and uh, really it's the kind of a thing, if you're buying fruit from Dick Boucher, you put it on your label um, because because you're paying for it and you're paying for that because he's, um, you're paying for that name because he's very well known. So, yeah. Yakima, a little bit cooler in Yakima than, say, Walla Walla or certainly someplace like Red Mountain, um, you know, uh, uh, near Tri-Cities. Uh, those are hotter sites. Uh, uh, Yakima is a little bit cooler site. Uh, the, um, you know, so better, you know, better for this kind of wine, you know. Boucher, Syrah is going to be a more elegant, more finessed, um, uh, prettier, say, style of wine than, say, a Syrah that's grown in Walla Walla down by Milton Free Water on what we call the Rocks District. Those are big, meaty, gamey, iodine, you know, really fascinating, cool wines. Um, Boucher is a very elegant, beautifully balanced, elegant yeah. um, Syrah, and I, th- I think of Boucher a lot with Syrah. How, how many varietals is he growing? Oh, I, I have no idea. A lot, it a could lot be of 15 things, yeah. or 14 or something yeah, like that, yeah. so it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and he manages you know, some, quite a few vineyard sites um, as well. Wine is meant to be social, enjoyed with friends and family when experiences truly matter. Add the perfect food pairing and the experience transports and transcends. The Culinary Stone is the meeting place for all of this. With their world-class wine selection, wine classes, and food classes all amongst your new best friends in the center of a retail space that boasts a bevy of culinary tools, it is a place where relationships and memories are made. And now the Culinary Stone has their very own wine club, affectionately known as the Noble Rottens. A nod, of course, to the Noble Rot. Each month, club members are treated to wines you will be proud to serve your guests. Or don't share and keep them all to yourself. Our wine club, wine classes, and retail wine selections are brought to you by the Culinary Stone Certified Sommelier, Trevor Treller. 
Wine classes are every Sunday at 2 p.m. and fill up fast. For more information on how you can experience wine like this or book your spot in one of our wine classes, visit culinarystone.com or simply call 208-277-4116. So Beverly's has wine dinners. You just had one last night with Long Shadows. Long Shadows. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful event. Completely uh, sold out. Yes, yeah. It, it sold out very quickly. Yeah. In fact, it oversold um, very quickly. So we ended up with, uh, um, you know, probably a dozen more people than we sort of anticipated our theoretical maximum was going to be. What um, is that uh, so, theoretical maximum? Well, like in the room, we can put 50-ish people we said, let's keep it to, you know, 30 to yeah. 36, you know, like we kind of like around 30 people. Um, but then we had like more interest. So it ended up being in the low 40, 42 or something. People, sure. Um, ended up being there. So, But it was it was still a very manageable number. And you have to add an extra staff member. Yeah. Make sure that you, you've got the ability to kick out those whatever four or five courses that you're going to do. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. for what, 135? It's, it's yeah, we... It, and when you think about it, it's like one bottle of, you know, uh, but you're uh, getting long shadows on our list. Long yeah. shadows feather or something is one hundred thirty five dollars. Right. But you're getting, you know, basically a solid four ounces of, of four it, different, yeah, four different yeah. wines, and plus a dinner that is off the charts. We we kind of regard these as promotional events where you know we get to. You know, put our best foot sure. forward and say, "Hey, look what look what our chefs can do," and and how and just the the fun of pairing it with the wines and and uh, bringing awareness of different wineries and so and so we, it's just it's fun for us and we don't really look to make money necessarily. Right. So, uh, and so, we're very sorry we missed it. Yes. <laughs> we didn't find out soon enough. No, yeah. we didn't. But but Sam and I have worked on a Rotary wine dinner a year or two ago. Yes, yes. And it was that same sort of thing. I kind of mm-hmm. said where we wanted our price point to be on the buy-in, mm-hmm. and and then you work with that, yeah, and it was happen. it was fantastic. Uh, and so that's a real, it's a very positive thing for our community in Coeur to have this sort of level of of options. For people who love, like foodies, who really want a top, top dinner with top, top wines. And gosh, the Long Shadows. We did uh, a Long Shadows tasting at Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to go back and take a look. Uh, But we did one of the Long Shadow wines. And then at Open That Bottle Night, we had a pedestal that showed up with from one of our guests and as I was explaining to Sam a little earlier the, the cork was I, I pull, pulled and pulled and nothing came out but a bunch of crumbs and so we had to kind of do a quick pivot and yeah, pour it through a filter into yeah, a crap and filters filters will save you yeah sometimes the wine you end is up fantastic. just pushing the cork into the bottle it's just there's no other way you know, around it to try to get all the bits out. And yeah. Like, ah, I'm just going to pour this through a filter and call it a day. But, you know, so in the world of corks, there are longer corks. I think, I think they use a fairly long cork. Um, uh, uh, there's also the, what we call a wine that we call corked. So a corked wine, the cork is infected with a mold that exists in the forest where the trees grow. So cork is just the bark of a tree. It's sustainably harvest every 20 to 25 years. The bark gets thick enough that you can peel it off and punch corks out of it. Right. And then it takes about 25 years to be, you know, before it um, 
uh, gets that thick again, but uh, it is it is you know a renewable, um, sustainable resource. Right. But there, there exists a, a mold in the cork forest, and if that is in the cork, it's in the wine. And so that's what we say when we say wine is corked. Uh, there's different degrees of it. There are, you know, if it's very very um, low uh, amount of, of cork, you can you, you sometimes even amongst professionals like uh, people that taste wine kind of for a living, um, we will often argue about say, oh, I think this wine's a little cork, and someone else says, yeah, no, I'm not getting that, and then and then you kind of go back and forth and we try to decide if it is or not. Yeah, and it's it's, yeah. it's a subtle. It can be a very subtle thing, but. It can be a thing that when I pull the cork out of a bottle of wine, like even if you know the wine is you know two feet away from my face, I pull out the cork and I just get this waft of it. And you just know it's like oh my gosh, this is this is totally corked. And you just go and get another bottle. I was but, watching a YouTube video uh, from a sommelier tasting through whatever fifteen dollar and less wines, whatever. And I thought oh, I'm gonna go ahead and watch this. And he said when you're pulling a cork, always put your nose up to the bottle first really never knew that this bottle that was corked was the mm -hmm. first bottle I did that yeah. to and I'm like oh man that's kind of funky yeah yeah <laughs> but it's not a reflection of like for instance you are going to serve a wine that's or actually you probably wouldn't serve it because you'd catch it first yeah well, but you if, will, it's, if it's dramatically corked we'll yeah. catch it while we're opening it I kind of try to you know when I pull it out you know you, people don't want you putting your nose on their bottle of wine you know it's like I do it whole you know it's like in the restaurant you know you kind of yeah. Hold it up so you can sure. kind of smell as you pull the pull the cork up and percentage and of how many? Generally, I would say, to be honest, I think one about one bottle in every four to five cases okay. has some degree of cork taint to it, um, and yes. and it's um, uh, you know which is kind of an unacceptable you know like one in fifty bottles. Right? Yeah. Um, that said, a lot of them are very subtle, and it's like. And it's certainly nothing harmful about it. Just it's just not the wine isn't quite right. Uh, uh, just a subtly corked wine. It kind of mutes the fruit component of the mm -hmm. wine. The wine might seem a little earthier, damp. Um, yes, it's like like a really corked wine. It smells musty. like musty, wet, cardboard, yeah. moldy badness. And it's just it's a very. Um, I've I've got one upstairs. There's always a couple balls sitting up, you know, in our in our display case when you walk into the restaurant because we'll. We'll get a cork bottle and we'll stick it there so when the distributor comes sure. by, they know where to go to find it. So current release wines, you know, if we had a bottle of, you know, um, whatever uh, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, we open it up and it's corked, we'll put the cork back in and stick it in the thing, right corked on it to make sure that, that uh, no one yeah. thinks it's just there for their right. you know, amusement. And... Uh, well, um, this actually and, happened. And the, the, yeah, and the, and the distributor will come by and they'll they'll just replace Perfect. it and they'll sure. charge it back to the winery. They, everyone, that's part of the business. It's part of it. Yeah. They so there is a way of of scanning corks now, oh. um, theoretically, and so all of the corks that you use, you can have scanned. Now you have to buy the cork first, and then you have to pay. I think it's about a dollar per cork to have them scanned to make sure that they're clean. Now that so said, I've had. We did a wine dinner um, uh, about a year ago, and and the uh, uh, you know I opened it wasn't that big of a dinner. There were like 25 people there, and so we opened you know um, you know I, I suppose a couple five, cases five, of wine, yeah, sure. right? And and we, in those like 20 some bottles of wine, two of them were corked, 
And so I go, wow, that's a high percentage. So I yeah. set them aside, waited for the winemaker to show up, and I'm going, hey, you know, it's like, um, uh, you might want to check those two balls over there. I'm, I'm you know, I, I feel that they're corked. And he goes over and goes, oh yeah, man, those are totally corked wines. And then he tells me, he says, you know, those wines, I paid to have those corks scanned. And, and if you're making 20,000 cases of wine, so 20,000 times 12 times a dollar a cork, you're paying a lot of money for the assurance that your wines are clean. Right. And it's like, no, 20 bottles of wine, there's two of them aren't. And so that I'm sure the next morning he woke up and, and called the guy and had sure. words about it. It's like, hey, I'll you bet. Know, I just paid you a lot of money. So here, here's your $2 back. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 that no, doesn't I don't work think that's that how way. How that conversation exactly. went. Yeah. Shelly, so you had a question. So if you're using, so a, a winemaker would buy batches of corks. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't all the corks be, so, have mold? Right, and so, why only I mean, some? yeah. Um, that, and that's an interesting thing, um, but it, it's, you do sometimes have a wine where, you know, from a producer where it seems like a lot of the wines have a cork issue. Um, and you would think that's probably would be the case, even to the extent um, that, like in the bottling line, if there's a cork bottle of wine, like the next couple of bottles of wine that go through the through the machine, they're gonna, get some. They're, they're gonna have little residual hints of that corkiness. Isn't that like cross contamination? That, that, yes. Wasn't that yeah. what happened at Chateau Montalena because they were worried about that? Oh, that's right. Well, and that's a great segue, Shelley. Um, yeah, yeah well, well Chateau played. Montalena. Well played is right. Uh, you did this on purpose, did you? Maybe. Because last week we did a whole episode on the Judgment of Paris, but this guy didn't. The owner of the Chardonnay mm -hmm. at Chateau Montalena did not want that wine to go. No, no, no. He did not want it to go. And uh, how I, I forget, you know. Do you remember how that all it played out? It got clear again, right? Yeah, it yeah. It, 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 there's it, a, it turned like brown, and right. then it and that and that wasn't a, that wasn't cork wine. It was just some strange phenomenon that through happened. the evolution of the right the wine being in the bottle, right? right? right. Yeah. yeah, apparently. And uh, um, and the wine it turned out. I mean, I think the wine always tasted fine. And I mean, I, I'm trying to remember how the story right, went. right, exactly. Um, but it, but um, he ditched it. But. Uh, um, you know, in the in the in the I don't know if it's true, but in the movie it was that girl at the at that the little bar down there, which I've I've um, I've sat and drank beer at that bar many times in my life. I, <laughs> I, uh, when I first got in the wine business back in the mid '80s, my aunt and uncle had a summer home. Um, they were they lived down in Woodside, California, but they had a summer home up in Calistoga that had been my uncle's grandparents' retirement home. Um, they passed away. They kept the house just as a kind of a summer, you know, retreat from the city. And, uh, but they weren't there that often. And so whenever I wanted to go to Napa Valley, I had a free place to stay. Fortuitously, and um, they shared a driveway with Chateau Montalena. So it was a little oh, house nice. up on top of the hill, but you had to drive by Montalena to get up there. And so uh, whenever Montalena would have parties and such, you know, they have those beautiful gardens and the black swans and all the things. There, so once. yeah, they'd have a lot of events there. And with a lot of and that capacity for a lot of people, so people would park on the sides of the road. It's just a dirt road, right? And they just pull up and park along the sides of the road. Because well, these are farms. These are farms. It's like, it's like, <laughs> these, these are, are farms. And so, um, you know, after one of those big events, uh, Bo Barrett would come, you know, trudging up to the house, and he'd have a case of wine. And say, "Oh, I'm sorry. You know, people were parking on your property." And, <laughs> 
and blah blah blah. And it's like, here's a case of wine. And my they parked my on uncle, my property yesterday yeah, too. Yeah, I know. My, my <laughs> uncle would always always turn away the wine. He says, no, no, we're just good neighbors oh, here. Man. We don't care. Good for him, like I this. guess. I'm always like, but come on, you know. It's like every once in a while, keep some wine. You know, it's just 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 for for me, oh, kind of right. But uh, um, but yeah, that's uh, um, quite a story. But actually, the the thing that you know when the in the story, like he made the wine. Actually, um, um, uh, Mike Gergich was actually the winemaker at Montalena uh, that made that. He it was actually the one that Gergich made that. Gergich Hills, right? Gergich Hills, yeah. 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 So uh, yeah. he partnered, you know, he put the Gergich Hills, you know, he partnered with the Hills family that has the Hills Brothers uh, coffee. Right. And so, so, so that's, many that's great stories. Yeah. So many. What He's still your... around. He's still around. He's well into his 90s. Oh, um, wow. But, uh, what are your thoughts on the judgment of Paris then? Yeah, the, the witch. Oh, I think I think it was a it was a brilliant uh, kind of marketing move, you know. And uh, um, well, you're not gonna even if you don't um, win or whatever. It's you gave it at least you gave at it least, a try, at right? Least you're, yeah, at least you're playing gonna, the game. We're right? going to compete. Yeah, you got to get in the game, and yet yeah. to come out on top on the yeah. two. I don't think anyone saw that coming, right? Um, certainly the French didn't, you know, because they were all French judges. But um, I think they were surprised and aghast, and uh, um, but, uh, but it did it did very much put California Napa Valley on the map in a very very big way, and so that was a huge turning point for. Uh, wine in, in America, and it also, you know, just you know, for people that you know, Americans, uh, your awareness of wine. I mean, yeah. I mean, those days it was kind Gallo. of Lancers and Matus yeah. and and you know that Jug wine. Yeah, yeah. People didn't drink fine wines Matus. in this country. It just wasn't. It's not part of our culture, right? And well, so, and and the whole idea of Mandave trying to uh, corral the com competition, right? You guys, we're not against each other. We are with each other. Yes. Uh, and that whole uh, model, the paradigm shift, mm -hmm. and then this happens, yes. and Stegg's Leap is now put there, Mont uh, Chateau Montalena, but it's not just those two, they're representation. Yes, representing. It's, it's Napa Valley. Exactly, Napa Valley exactly. People remember. People may or may not remember who the wineries were, but but everyone remembers that Napa Valley won that taste. Isn't, and, that, isn't that fantastic? Yeah. And it's very much, Walla Walla does that as well. Walla Walla, you go down there, and they're very supportive of each other. As and, it should be. Yes, yeah. Um, so we haven't talked. We about have this not one. talked about this. All so right, we've got red wine in our glass. Do tell us what we're drinking. It's fantastic. Yes, we are drinking the Gilbert Cellars oh, yeah. Left Bank Red. Um, Gilbert Cellars, a, uh, um, a winery down in in Yakima, um, and they own vineyards down there. So the Gilberts are a multi generational um, agriculture family. They have. You know, they have fruit orchards, they have a lot of different, you know, agricultural um, aspects of their business. They started um, uh, growing grapes um, and were very successful with that. Other people would buy their grapes and they started the winery. Um, Josh McDaniels has JB, or McDaniels, oh, uh, sorry, wrong guy, that's the winemaker. He's, Josh is the winemaker at um, um, Doubleback, Josh McDaniels. He was also um, a coach in the NFL. Yes, 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 which is interesting, right? Um, J.W. Newfeld, Josh Newfeld, is the winemaker um, at Gilbert. Um, very, very talented winemaker. And so they started this winery. Um, he makes the wines. They've got great fruit sources. The name derives. This is a, uh, um, you know, what we've talked about before, a left bank. Um, yeah, a Cabernet-based uh, uh, red style, blend, right? Bordeaux-style yeah. red blend. Left bank refers to um, Bordeaux. Um, 
So uh, right bank is more um, Merlot based, and correct. the left bank is is, is more uh, Cabernet, Cabernet based. based. Okay, yes, gotcha. that's correct. And okay. so this is a Cabernet predominant red blend, and so they said, well, we're going to call it left bank. Right? Is it? Yeah. So in Bordeaux, if you are a left bank uh, vineyard mm -hmm. or producer, yeah. uh, can you go predominantly Merlot on you? You because no one says you can't. As, yeah. as long as you're using the five grapes yes. that are grown there, six if they still had Carmenere. Yes, uh, correct. <laughs> uh, Which is actually in France at that it was called Grand Vidure, um, was the original grape name. Carmenere is the name that the um, uh, uh, Chile attached really? to the grape because they didn't know what it was. They'd been calling wow. it mistakenly. They'd been calling it Merlot for for right. decades, and they said, "Well, this." Everyone knows it's not Merlot, so let's just make up a name because we don't know what it is. <laughs> it was DNA research. Carmen, come over yeah, here. Yeah. Help us make this yeah. name. What is your call? Carmenere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was DNA testing that enabled them to figure out, oh, this is actually the Grand Vidure, which oh, which DNA is a testimony. which is which we call the lost grape of Bordeaux. Is the grape that that after phylloxera yeah. nearly decimated the. The vineyards like, in we France. Do not want they, this grape here they never anymore. Planted, they never planted. Uh, yeah, they never planted uh, Grand Vidour again. It was just not. It didn't really contribute that much to the wine. Uh, I think, like a lot of things, it's like just because it came from Bordeaux doesn't mean that it was necessarily well suited to there. Sure. As it turns out, you plant it in other places. You plant it in warmer places. You plant it yeah. in 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 Chile. You plant it in Washington State. Carmenere yeah. makes a much much different wine than it would in in France. We so, both love Carmenere. Yeah. And uh, that black pepper, oh, and boy. yeah, just so they're so distinctive. And do we know a percentage on this blend? Um, I bet I do. <laughs> I'll bet I do. <laughs> it, it's a uh, 51% ah. Cabernet Sauvignon, 35% Merlot, 8% Malbec, 5% Petit Verdot, and 1% Carmenere. <gasps> really? I can't do that. Oh, they're, there they're, they're you going go. legit here. The, yeah, so all the all the nice. Groups, so. That's fantastic. Uh, something happened here to the family of the resort. Yes. Uh, yes. About a month ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the founder, Dwayne Hagedon, passed away. Yes. Yes. Do you have a story that you... And this is not on our notes, and I'm throwing this at okay. you. Uh, do you have a story you want to share with us about Mr. Hagedon? You know, I, I guess to me, one of the things that I always found... Um, fascinating was his like vision and and usually if you are in a situation as uh, a song where you're working in a place that has a million dollars worth of wine and yeah. and, 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 and 2,000 different kinds of wine on the list and you have this really amazing wine program it's either because you have a you work for a corporation that they decide that that's what they want to do sure. but they're gonna they probably have a template of the wines that they want you to have right and it's very you know a corporate structure or you have a private owner who loves wine and says I I love wine I want my restaurant to feature wine like and it's a, and then in that case that person wants to have input into the wines you know that, that you're choosing on the list and and in the case of Mr. Hagenone, he does not drink wine at all. In the, so I started here in 1987. I have never served Mr. Hagenone a glass of wine Is in my entire right? tenure here. Um, I now, once one time, one time. Plenty of guests of his. Oh my heavens! Yes, yes. <laughs> and, his, and, and, and his family. You know, sure. his, yeah. Um, you know, Lola and the kids. You know, um, um, you know, Todd and Brad and 
and you know they're very they're, they all they love wine all of them love wine but it was just never an interest of Mr. Hagedorn's and and to me that he had the vision that he says I this is not something that I really enjoy or, or I mean he you know he, he it's not that he didn't drink he just you know he liked vodka tonics that was yeah, his drink there you go. and uh, and that's what he liked and he just wine was just not a just not an interest of his but he and, knew this was important but he knew that it was important right. and he he knew that it was important enough that he was willing to say hey I'm going to put a million dollars into creating this wine program and Did he that was give amazing you, to me uh, complete autonomy complete yeah they've uh, there's never been a time when anyone has said hey I don't know if we're going the right direction with this program or these they trust you know the wine staff to to make those decisions and and it's a very kind of rare and special opportunity that you would never find in the corporate world or um, really it's a very it's a very unique spot so we have Great leaders always have vision yes yes, they, yes indeed, indeed. Uh, I know that uh, there are a lot of people in this general region that are like, humph, you know, uh, jacking up the real estate prices, humph. It's like, you know what? When you live in a place like this, you are obligated to give it your best go at creating what he created here. Yes, uh, yes. Just a beautiful resort. He could have uh, gone anywhere in the world and yeah. said, hey, I'm going to spend, you know, $60 million and, 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 build a hotel or something which is you know that's 60 million dollars in right in 1980 sure know, six dollars sure. right and um but he chose to do it in his hometown and he loves this town um he loved this town he loved the lake um this is just this is his place and he says this is a special special place um i remember working here you know when i came here in 1987 um yes it was a much different place then but part of what was different about it is in the winters for Many years when I first started here, in the winter you'd walk down Sherman. Three quarters of the stores were, were just closed. You couldn't you couldn't run a business. You couldn't right. you know you couldn't make a living running a business downtown in Coeur d'Alene on Sherman Street in the winter. There just wasn't any people here, yeah. and it was a kind of you know it was a mining and timber based town. Both of those industries in very much in decline around here, and and as those industries faded. Um, um, Something, something needed to take its place. If the really almost if the town was to survive, yeah. right? So. I mean, how could it not survive? It's a beautiful, it's such location. a beautiful place. And, and yeah. you know, you, you, we we've had our social media conference for three years, mm -hmm. and people have come in to speak, and they're like, "Are you kidding me?" They are blown away yeah. by the beauty here. Eventually, people would have figured out that this is a beautiful of course. place. Oh, and, it was going to happen. Yes, an, yeah. an inevitability. He, but he was he was a part part of that change, you know. And then yeah. and other developments around here that started bringing people in. But really, the L.A. Times had reported very early on on the resort, and and they're going, "Oh my gosh, this area is beautiful." And if you're in L.A. and you have like a little, you know. 900 square foot house. You can sell that house, move to Coeur d'Alene, and buy a beautiful home on, on the acreage. Lake. Little, little. Yeah, it's like it was crazy. Right. I mean, in the 80s, it was, it was, and people would say, "Well, I'm, I'm going to do that right." And now it's the hottest real estate market in the nation. It is right indeed. Now. Yeah, right yeah, now it's in crazy. Coeur it's, Yeah. Uh, we used to come through Coeur d'Alene on our way from California to Canada, mm -hmm. where we had a lake house. Oh well, yeah. That was in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Beautiful and that's when the freeway went through the town. Through the town, yes, right down Sherman, exactly. indeed. Um, Shelly and I have had the privilege of having lunch uh, for the past five years on October 25th 
on her birthday mm-hmm. in Mr. Hagedon's owner's box. Oh, yes. Uh, just by happenstance mm-hmm. because he wasn't having lunch that day. Right. And so uh, it, it, you know, these things, you know they're going to happen. And, uh, you know, just, we should just toast and honor. We, we, know we shall indeed. I might, yeah. I might have to uh, top up. Can, can you do that for, there we sure. go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to Mr. Hagenon, thanks Hagenon. for having me. Visionary, perfect. I, I just think that's really apropos for this episode. Uh, so, Sam, the wines that we drank today. Yes. You chose them. Why? I I, I wanted something that was Northwest, I think, and uh, you know I, I tossed a few different ideas around. Yeah. I thought we have some interesting Northwest things. I. You know, it kind of started with the with the Grosvenor. I'm going. You know what? We just brought this wine in. It's, um, uh, you know, the the whole the the, the skin contact winemaking method and aging in clam fours and concrete eggs. And it's just an it's interesting, a great story, interesting yeah. wine um, to taste and to talk about. Um, and I thought, oh, well, there's that Devison Rosé, and that's that's really a cool wine. And 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 they're they're new, you know, uh, pretty new to this winery here, just the last uh, last few years. And uh, and then just in something else, I just love the Gilberts. There, as so and maybe I didn't mention this about them. Um, we we love their wines, but beyond that, they are exactly what you would imagine of a Yakima multi generational you know farm yeah. agricultural family. They are totally down to earth. They're just the nicest nicest people, and we just love being able to support them in any way we can. And Doesn't it make the people it, that you want? It makes you happy to support them, right? When when you're when you're um, when a table is sat and they want to talk to the sommelier to go over some wine options, isn't it a little easier to offer this up as a possibility when you know that the people are good? Yes, it is. It is. You know? and, it's, and it's really, you know, I, I love to go on wine, you know, trips and we have, we have, you know, I've been able to do that, you know, multiple times to France, to, mm. to Italy, to Germany um, and touring wineries. Really, you're not you're not going to, you know, direct import a wine that you're not going to discover a new wine and and say, hey, I'm going to direct import a, you know, I mean, a container of this wine right, or a right, pallet of this wine, right. whatever it is. Um, but you visit wineries that perhaps you have had the wines, you have the wines on their list, you enjoy the wines, and now you can go and you can sit and you can meet the people, you can tour with them, you can taste wines in their cellar. It's like, yeah. and and that changes everything. It's like. You know, it's like sometimes you go, wow, I love that wine, but I don't know. There's those people, you know, it's like, I, and it, it, and, but more often than not, you meet the people and you say and they the are interesting people with a great story, a great history to, to what they do. And now you can go to a table and say, oh my gosh, I was at this winery. You know, we went into their caves. They showed us where, you know, they're in, they're in France and they, they showed us where, you know, during World War II, they, they, they walled off this portion of the of the cave so that when the Germans came through they wouldn't be able to find all the good wine they they <laughs> hit it they ripped it all up and then you go to Germany no Riesling these yeah. are bad wines yeah. <laughs> you go to Germany and you go into the caves and go oh you know when the when the tides of war change and the Allies and 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 certainly the Russians were you know were were, uh, were coming through the area it's like they in in Germany this this is where we walled up the 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 portions of the caves to keep the Allies from you know, from finding the wine as they were uh, 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 pushing towards Berlin, and it's you uh, know, it's <laughs> we sat with Cave B, mm-hmm. uh, a state winery, yes. in their cave. Yeah. Uh, again, the sound isn't great. 
because we're in a cave. Yes. Uh, but it was fantastic. A few weeks ago, we were at Clearwater Canyon. Yes. In a great setting. Yes. Wonderful people, aren't they? Clearwater and Canyon. Carl, oh my are, gosh. Yes. Fantastic. I think so, one of the most interesting um, and promising new, brand new wine appellations yeah. in the country, the uh, Lewis and Clark Valley. Um, um, gosh, they're, they're making great wines down there. They're such nice people. And they seem to really be modeling after the Walla Walla model, right? Yes. They want to yes. be they want to be the Walla Walla of Idaho. Yes, they should be. I mean, it's like, when you think about it, it's like, wow, the climate, the, the, there's just yeah. so much that's very similar between Lewis and Clark And this Valley has all come Walla Walla. about in the last decade. Yes, yeah. But you know, really, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, in my mind, it seems like it wasn't that long ago <laughs> because I, I, I had a wine shop at the time and I remember, um, uh, you know, when, um, um, actually it was a little before we had the shop, it was 1978 that Gary and Nancy Figgins opened Lee and Eddie Sellers. It was 81 was the first commercial release for uh, um, Rick Small, Rick and Darcy Small at uh, Woodward, Woodward Canyon. Woodward Eight, Canyon. Yeah, 83 was LaCole 41, but I, you know, I remember... Which they're kind of neighbors down there, they're Woodward right, Canyon yeah, and yeah. LaCole, yeah? We're, yeah, they're right next to each other. Yeah. I mean, you, you can park at one and then walk over to the other exactly. one, which is... Um, um, so you go to school fun. and then you walk down and you have a glass. <laughs> Indeed, but um, I remember like so clearly the first time I met Rick Small and we I had the wine shop in Spokane. We were down on too. Howard Street, two fourteen Howard, where uh, Mizuna Restaurant is in that space yeah. now, and we had a little wine, little retail wine shop in there, and and uh, and we were we were sitting in the shop and we saw this kind of old beat up old you know farm truck pickup truck you know pull up and in, in front and. And we're going like, who's like, what's this about? Like, who's this guy? And this, and this guy jumps out, and he's like super high energy. And he comes. <laughs> that doesn't sound the, like Rick Small yeah, at all. The thing, and he's going, hey, my name is Rick Small, and it's like, I don't know if you heard about me. I'm making some wine down in Walla Walla, and we're going, yeah, Rick, we've we've uh, the word's out. Yeah, we've kind of we kind of. Did he have hair then? Because he has no. No, hair no, now. he had no hair. No. Okay, and uh, um, and. Uh, uh, maybe a little on the side. Okay. Uh, but uh, um, he is a great guy. He is amazing. An absolutely he is great guy. And you know what? He still he still has that same energy. You oh, talk I know. to him, and we did a wine dinner with him. You know, it's it's been. But that know, story is not unlike many small, mm -hmm. at the time, winery stories where they're selling out of the back of their car. Yes, yeah. He came up and you he know, had, and he had a bunch is, of wine in his, in his, in his, in his old. Kind of beat up old pickup truck, and he That's came up fantastic. there. You know, he drives a Ferrari now, um, but he should. That one yeah. jostling <laughs> around the back with a pickup. Yeah. Um, so you could do that back then. You could, yeah. yes, yes, That's right. And you still can. I mean, really, there are you know a lot of these yeah a lot of these guys that are you know little wineries get started, they kind of self distribute for a while, and which is you know kind of frustrating for us because there's you know a new great little winery, you have to wait till you have a legal. You know, path to buy right. their wines, but you know, sometimes the distributor will say, "Hey, we'll post for the wine." You know, you can just if you're going to buy ten cases of wine or whatever, we'll go, we'll do the paperwork, we'll post for it. Exactly. They can deliver it to us. It has to hit their warehouse. They, I think they have to unload it. Has to hit the floor. Then they can put it on their truck and bring it to us. Well, and that gives you an exclusive. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we love that. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Look. People complain about the prices of wine or of wines in nice restaurants. Mm -hmm. We are sitting in your cellar right now yes. with, like you said, over a million dollars of wine. Yes, that is that's an overhead cost. Yes. Oh, and, oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, you you figure so, out what a million dollars. I mean, you could take that right. million dollars and put it in the bank and figure out what you're going to make just on the money. Maybe so not so much in these days, right, right now. Yeah, interest but, rates. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, but it's, it's like. Um, 
you know, you could invest that money in a lot of things. Right. And, uh, you know, yes, if we have chosen wisely the, the wines that, that, that are here for a while, we'll right. appreciate. Um, uh, but but that, that said, it's a huge investment. And then, you're, you know, it's like you come in and you, you get to dine in this restaurant with this really incomparable view, wonderful food, you know, uh, you know, Riedel, Crystal, you know, glassware. Right. It's like, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, uh, um, it's, it's, all, it's all part of it. But, um, yeah, I, I complain about wine, wine prices in restaurants, too. But there's a reason. It's not as if, yeah. I mean, there's a reason to it. And I, I, I'm touching your wine, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I just glance around because, you know, I use the same tags as we mm-hmm. use in our cellar. Yeah, yeah. And what do I see is a CDA on the label. Yes. And you got little old Coeur cellars, their Grenache, yes. sitting yeah. down here. Yeah. And yeah, that Grenache is cool wine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, it's just so it's just great to see the depth of this cellar. Um, Sam, you know, you know, speaking of Cordelaine oh, cellars, yeah. quickly, they also produce our our your our house. house wine. Yeah. So we have a Chardonnay and a Cabernet Sauvignon. They they're produced by Cordelaine cellars. Um, we actually are part of that process. Um, they will, you know. Um, Kind of start with base wine. So this wines. is an exclusive. Yeah, wine. no, they, they do it for us. Oh, yeah. very um, nice. So it has you know our label on it. Um, so they'll start with you know kind of their base wines, and we'll get together and we'll say, well, you know, so usually the base kind of the base wine is doesn't see a lot of oak at that point, mm-hmm. but you you take that as the base, and then you start to blend in, you know, wines that they say you know uh, Kimber will say, oh my gosh, I've got I've got ten barrels of this. Merlot that we've had in oak for two years and it's just lush and there and and I'm, and we need to get it into bottles. Well, yeah, it's like they're they're yeah, you, it's like it's it's a, but I think they do some of those things at this point because we've been doing this for several years. I think mm. they keep those wines kind of with the thought, hey, this is going to make a great additive, you know, to this kind of you know neutral Cabernet based wine, and we'll start introducing you know um, um, other wines into it. And to me, it is fascinating. How much difference you take five percent of a, you know, oak aged big, whatever it is, and put it in with this other wine, it changes the wine totally. Right, and it, so it, we'll go through this process of tasting, that's know, trying fantastic. different things, and she brings, you know, she's got her little vials and her, you know. And I then, knew Kimber and, had vials. Yes, <laughs> that, I have to give a, just a shot to Kimber because you know. That's what we do. Yes, we do. Uh, we do. No, they're, they're but they've been they've been a very good partner with the resort in this so in this project. So in, in that aspect, when you had that much oak on on that juice, if you put that in the bottle, it'd be over oak. I think it would be over oak. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you introduce that to yes. another, and a lot of people would like that wine, but but well, to me, of course, it's like too much right. oak. Yeah. Uh, but it gives great depth to an otherwise. Mm-hmm. Wine that could solid, be a little, yeah. solid, but kind of maybe uninteresting wine. And all of a sudden, yeah. boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Shelly, do you want to real quick go over some of the wines we had this week? Because we need to maybe wrap this up and give we Sam back his, his cellar. So this week we had 2011 Paris de Albi. Albi? Yes. yes. So I, I, I know this wine. So this is a wine that we have on our list here. Really? Beverly's. But I will say it's by virtue of um, um, of, of Trevor, who is now at uh, Culinary Stone, one and, of our sponsors. Yes, and he had um, when when Trevor was with us, he had uh, um, taken a couple weeks off, and he and his wife had gone down to um, Argentina and Chile, and and mostly, 
you know, they're more adventure travelers. They're they're not going there to, to go to restaurants and go to wineries, but um, they're they're there to hike and, yeah. and adventure. And but he did go, he did visit um, this winery, and that is a wine that he tasted at the winery. And he came back and he says, "Oh my gosh, you've got to try this wine." Is it Antonori property? I think, yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a partnership or something. Okay, so I mean, Antonori, you know, like Antonori, and they partner a lot with Chateau Saint Michel, but a lot of that is sort of distribution networks and marketing and distribution networks and 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 that. But um, they but they have a they have some manner of association with that winery. Yeah, this was dark and blueberry and luscious and delicious and it's an awesome wine. Yeah, yeah. 2011. I know. Yeah, yeah. Drinking in 2021. Yeah. What else do we have? Amelia Tempranillo. I've not had that wine. I don't. I don't know that wine. It has a B on the bottle. Label. Yeah, this was oh. the uh, May wine of the month at okay. the Culinary Stove. Oh, very good. It's eleven ninety nine mm-hmm. for a bottle. It's like wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had that. Yeah. And it's it was pretty good. Yeah. It's very easy drinking. We'll yeah. just put it like that. Yeah. But Tempranillo is a wonderful. I think it's a great oh, food man. wine. Oh, it's a great so patio barbecue wine. Yeah. You know, it's very versatile, very food friendly. Yeah. Massarella Trebbiano di Abruzzo. Oh, yes. <laughs> and a That's a very good wine, right? This winery I know. Crisp. Well. It's a very, very uh, good winery. Also, uh, easy drinking. Yeah. Very yeah. easy. And what drink. I can pronounce easily a 2017 <laughs> Novelty Hill Royal Slope Red. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Novelty Hill, the, kind of the, the other project. Uh, by Mike Janik. Oh, so we are for the Janik Merlot. That's right. I'm here, and we have a number of their wines. We actually have the Royal Swope Red on the on the list here as well. This was yeah. This was so good. Yes. This is the profile that I just adore. Mm-hmm. Yes. So freaking awesome. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're I, I think I think I see I see some. So you're, you're getting a little excited. I think there's some sweat beating up I'm on your... I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sam brought down this great hummus from upstairs. Oh, yeah, we never had And we didn't even touch it. Well, you know, creamy, crunching. You know, yeah, you don't want to talk with your mouth. That's true. We've right. had um, some popcorn on certain episodes with Chardonnay <laughs> that goes great. But then you're... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you don't want to do that. So, but um, this is our... Yeah, I mean, this is it's not necessarily new. It was new, you know, maybe a year ago. Right. We, we transitioned to this new hummus um, presentation. Um, the hummus recipe itself, they they tweaked a little bit. Uh, um, Chef Barrett said, you know, I think that you know the hummus that we're using, it's it's fine, but it's just kind of hummus, you know. And he says, I want to figure out what it takes to make really good hummus, and so he started experimenting with it and researching it, and oh. he figured out really good hummus. You know, it's it's uh, garbanzo bean, chickpea, you know, yeah. um, based, but it also has tahini. Um, is, is the other main ingredient. Um, and he says, you know, all the really good hummus recipes kind of bump up the tahini percentage a little bit. And tahini, you know, is more expensive than... I was going to say, it's probably than, more expensive than, than garbanzo component. beans, right? Sure. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, I have, a, I have a farm down in Genesee, and we grow garbanzo beans, and, and we're not getting rich growing garbanzo beans. So. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, but the tahini is, like, part of the key. Um, good olive oil, um, and just... just good just, olives. And good, yeah, and then... Yeah, and so then we, uh, you know, with garnish, we have caper berries and Kalmont olives. The um, They used to do it with just like plain pita bread. They're going, you know, we, we want to kind of mix that up a little bit. And this, I think this was a thing that Jim came up with and, you know, in, in his creative mind. He said, we're going to take the pita, we're going to cut it into these little wedges, and then we're going to quick fry them and make like more of a pita bread chip. Yeah. And then they toss it with a little bit of uh, Aleppo pepper. 
and it gives it that little bit of spice, that little bit of heat. It just, it just, you know, and a little crunch to it. It just, it just works. I think it's a how long has this been on the menu now? It's probably been about a year. Yeah. So this is something that makes it in our corner up at our rotary. So we meet here for rotary every week, and uh, Shelley will sometimes surprise me when I get sat down in front of me. She's like. Kind of feel like this. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> a great shareable appetizer. Yeah, finger food and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we've got a big month of June coming up. June is ne- next week. Oh, yeah. And we've got National Rose Day on the by. 12th. It is flying by. Uh, Prosecco week. It the seems week. like it was just April. I know. <laughs> it does seem like it was just April. You speak the truth. Prosecco week, June 11th to 16th. Shannon Blanc Day. June 19th, Lombrusco Day, the 11th of June. Of course, if you have a National Rosé Day, you have to have an International Rosé Day. That's the 25th of June. And we thank Sam for this time down in your cellar. This is your home, and you let us into your home. This is this is my this is my little uh, my little space, my little uh, and and you know other people don't have keys, and so and it's cool down here. So in it the is. summer, I come in. You know, I've been outside, been golfing, been been out. You know, working in the yard or the garden or whatever. You come in here. You know, it's nice and cool. It is cool. Um, um, no one's going to bother you um, unless they can find a key, and that those are hard to come by for this room. And so it's it's my it's our little secret oasis. Yeah. So uh, when the Beatles wrote the song Eight Days a Week," I, I understood that was because you work eight days a week. Is that uh, not true? yeah? No, not so much. Not okay. So much. I've, I've, I've managed to engineer my schedule to a to a pretty uh, agreeable. Uh, well played uh, and well uh, said. Uh, any parting shots, Shelley? Nope. I okay. Nothing. I got nothing. Uh, with a little bit of knowledge, wine becomes a lot less overwhelming. Again, thank you, Sam, for this time. Thank you. And have an awesome great. weekend, everyone. Uh, if you are ever in Coeur d'Alene, both of us, we're not going to beg because we're not beggars, but we implore you to come visit uh, the Coeur d'Alene Resort and Beverly's and say hi to Sam. Please do. All right. See you next week. Cheers. Are you a small business owner that's ready to grow your business through social media without having to hire a full-time staff or a third-party company? Honor your business and yourself and become educated in social media. Visit thesocialweb.news for more information. The Social Web and The Social Web Inner Circle, helping you untangle the web of social media marketing. Thank you for spending part of your day to wind down with Shelly and Phil. Remember, you can listen to any episode of the Wine Time Fridays podcast by visiting winetimefridays.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us on our Wine Time Fridays Facebook page, Instagram, or on Twitter, which is at Vintage Tweets, for daily conversation. Until next week, here's our toast to you. To health, wealth, abundance, gratitude, peace on earth, and of course, Romance.